Thank you for setting your podcast dial to 14th and G. I'm your host, Dean Hinkson. Oh, somewhere in this favored land, the sun is shining bright. The band is playing somewhere and somewhere hearts are light and somewhere men are laughing and somewhere children shout. But there is no joy in Mudville. Mighty Casey has struck out. And that's kind of how it felt for months on end when sports disappeared from our lives at the start of all this. For many of us, the first indication that this pandemic was even a thing that it was going to impact our daily life was the NBA's suspension of their season on March 11th. NBA fan or not, if these team owners were wary enough of COVID to turn away fans midseason and forego the broadcast revenue of professional basketball, well, there was something happening here. For even casual fans and non-fans, the rhythms of American life are governed by the sports calendar. The holiday season really ends and the new year begins in earnest with the Super Bowl. Spring arrives with the Masters in Augusta and chilly nights return right around the World Series in October. But all that, along with so much more in our lives, was upended in 2020. And after months without any sports, the professional and college leagues devised strategies and protocols and they all seemed to play at once. We were drowning in sports this summer. Through fits and starts, canceled games, and varying degrees of success from league to league, the World Series arrived on time but was played in a fanless bubble with piped crowd noise after a truncated rules-altered season. There were no Summer Olympics in Tokyo. My Tar Heels played the Maui Invitational in Asheville, North Carolina. And the Masters, that tradition unlike any other, was played in azalea-free November. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Has the experience of American sports been changed forever? Can the business models of professional and collegiate athletics even survive the effects of the pandemic? Well, I'd be in Nats Park on April 1st, beer and peanuts in hand. I just don't know. And that's why I'm so glad to have a true sports analyst here to help me break it all down. Kendall Baker is the sports editor for the news service Axios. He started his sports writing career with the Bleacher Report and ESPN, where he had the idea to create a sports page for the 21st century, escaping the noise of social media. He launched his daily sports newsletter from his San Fran apartment and last year teamed up with Axios, which is how it gets into my inbox every morning. If it's happening in the world of sports, you'll read about it in Axios Sports. Kendall Baker, welcome to 14th and G. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. And that, that, that opening got me a little emotional. I'm not going to lie. So it's been a, <laughs> it's been a uh, crazy year, you know, for, for all sports fans, particularly covering sports as a sports fan myself. It is, it has definitely been almost surreal. And to be in it on the day-to-day grind, like sometimes I even have to take a step back and, and think about it from you know, the, the perspective you just shared. Yeah, Kendall, you know, let's just start with where we stand today. Uh, The NFL, as you noted this morning, for all their missteps, they're four weeks out from the playoffs with 32 teams having completed a full slate of games. The NBA is gearing up to start their season in a couple of weeks. Uh, Major League Baseball, who the hell knows? We don't even know if pitchers are going to bat in the National League. Uh, College football and basketball trucking along. Who, if anyone, has handled the pandemic sports year really well and set themselves up for success? You know, it's, a, it's an interesting question, and, and it, it really is almost impossible to answer because in many ways they all succeeded and in other ways they kind of all failed. I think if I had to choose 
one league or one kind of model that I feel like, you know, worked the best or was the one we'll kind of look back on as being the ideal solution, um, given the context was the NBA bubble or the WNBA bubble or really any league that put together those bubbles. I think, you know, I was talking to some people recently about this, like when, when the, when the bubble model was first kind of announced as something to leagues were considering, it was immediately met with, Oh no, like that's crazy. Right. That's, that's crazy. The the concept of an entire league going to one single site living there, like it seemed insane. And then, and then then two, three months later, the NBA, WNBA bubbles, all NHL bubble all concluded. And we almost uh, were jaded by it. We went, from that's insane that'll never happen to it was so smooth given what they were actually executing and it, and it went so well that it just kind of almost was normal i mean i remember watching those particularly nhl because you, you know the camera angle was kind of on the ice like i would often forget that there was nobody there that they were playing in empty arenas and so i know you know again i, I think it's hard to answer because every league was dealing with different situations some outdoor some indoor some during spikes some during um the the beginning of the pandemic so i think it's hard to answer but the the bubble to me was so successful given what they were actually pulling off that i think we'll we'll look back on those bubble experiments as as being pretty uh extraordinary what they were able to accomplish yeah and in fairness i mean nba smaller roster an indoor sport you don't need a ton of equipment or you know a football (laughs) size field Right. Um, really lend itself to playing in a bubble. Exactly. And, that, and that's why it's so hard to answer, right? Because, you know, if the NFL had 15-man rosters and, as you pointed out, were, was able to play on indoor courts and not outdoor fields or, I guess, indoor fields, even so, different sizes, maybe the bubble's possible for them. So leagues were all dealing with different variables. And it's not like, you know, they all looked at the same problem and took different uh, routes to get there. They, they were all dealing with very unique challenges to the unique to themselves you know college sports versus professional sports everybody had a different task challenge in front of them and they all went about it in different ways Kendall what about the business model of sports uh, baseball's national league uh, as as i noted may or may not keep the designated hitter rule that's thrown the free agency market into turmoil uh, for hitters fans are going to come back at some point to buy tickets concessions and merchandise but even here in D.C., the Nationals announced some pretty big layoffs and operations this week. Uh, you've talked about the short-term pain baseball in particular looks to be in for. But how do you see the professional sports model writ large changing as a result of all this? Or is it just going to snap back to normal? Well, I think it's it's somewhere in the middle, right? I think, you know, it's 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 natural for us to look at what we experienced this year and what we'll continue to kind of experience going into 2021. And and look at that and say, you know, what are the uh, permanent changes that are, co- are going to come about from this? And it's kind of hard to see into the future when things hopefully do kind of snap back to normal, a- as you put it. So I think in many ways, things will snap back to normal. I, know, I remember in the beginning of this pandemic, there was all this talk about how stadiums need to be redesigned for social distance crowds and things like that. And yeah, that seems like a temporary solution to something maybe even when fans do return you know, they, they will be in smaller numbers and, and it will be kind of this drawn out process to get back to normal. But I think inevitably we will get back to normal. And so almost yeah. like the, the idea of rearranging an entire stadium to deal with a 
current problem that you'll then have to rearrange back to normal, you know, in two, in, in a year or two years, whatever it happens is almost not the way to do it. So I don't know. It, it's definitely somewhere in the middle between leagues or leagues have been in, innovating to, to deal with, you know, as you mentioned, no fans, right. The NBA had virtual fans during their games, which again, I thought was a, was, was really successful and kind of added a fun element to it. You know, people who would normally wouldn't be able to afford to go to a playoff game were suddenly kind of, you know, virtual of course, but on the sidelines of an NBA finals game and their friends could see them on TV. Like maybe the NBA keeps an element there where, they have a section in, in games of virtual fans or something like I think we'll see a lot of the innovation that leagues were kind of forced to do during this time. Uh, once they're not forced to do it anymore, they might you know decide to keep it because it was actually successful. So there's a lot of examples of leagues innovating out of necessity and those innovations right. being extremely successful to the point where when they don't need to do them, they might choose to still do them. Yeah, I think Dr. Fauci said this week, it's likely next fall before you're going to see 20,000 fans yeah. uh, in an indoor arena. That's basketball. But are, are you seeing anything that, that front offices, as we go in, just looking at the 2021 season, front offices, professional sports franchises, are, are they doing anything now to prepare for next year differently? Or is it just more of a, uh, let's get the vaccine, wait and see? To me, in kind of analyzing all the league's responses, it really does seem like everything they're doing is, I mean, you, you have to somewhat prepare for the future, but the, the the situation is so constantly evolving that it's almost impossible to do so. And I think they are, you know, I'll, I'll use the NBA again as an example, because I think we're at a unique time with them where they're about to start a new season after just playing in a bubble. They're about to embark on a season with no fans and, you know, traveling to home arenas. Like they haven't done that yet. The NFL's done that. Major League Baseball done that. The NBA still hasn't done that. So they, you know, have, have a challenge, you know, immediate challenge right in, in front of them that is almost you can't take your eye off that and right. start trying to prepare for, okay, let's look ahead at 20. I, I think there's so much on their plate now that leagues are, are really dealing with like the present uh, more than the future. I do think, you know, there's obviously um, financial impact across all leagues. You know, you lose bands. That's a ton of revenue. You also lose in-stadium purchases. Like there's a, there's a lot of revenue being lost. And I think where you're going to see that uh, impact leagues is obviously, fortunately, in layoffs. You also have the uh, salary cap in certain leagues is going to go down because of that. You know, the, the money is going to uh, end up looking different. So that's all things that, you know, you can kind of start to prepare for either from a team building perspective. So knowing that you're probably going to have less money to work with in a year or in two years and start preparing for that in terms of how you build your roster. There's things that, you know, again, leagues and teams can look ahead at and kind of know with some level of certainty it's going to be different and they're going to have to find ways to make up that revenue. Or if they can't, then it's just going to be a different equation for them. But I do think there's just so much in the present that all these leagues are dealing with that they're really focusing on that. Kendall, turning for just a second to college athletics, the amateur model of college athletics was already under some severe strain going into this. A number of universities are ending non-revenue sports programs like track and field altogether. The pandemic has accelerated so many trends in American life that were already ongoing. Is paying college athletes one of those trends? Sir, I mean, I think I think the the one thing I clarify there is allowing allowing athletes to make money is to me different than paying them. Um, I think sometimes when we, t when that conversation has started and the words kind of paying athletes come out, 
that's an extreme that I don't think we'll see, you know, directly paying a football player for his services versus allowing that football player to, on his own, you know, go sign a uh, sponsorship deal with a shoe company. That's something that college student that doesn't play football already does, right? There, there was an right. interesting article in the New York Times recently about cheerleaders, you know, are athletes, but they're not NCAA athletes. So they're already able to do this. So you have cheerleaders who have pretty large, some of them have pretty large social followings. They, they're signing really lucrative sponsorship deals. Meanwhile, the football player, the basketball player, you know, all the NCAA sanctioned sports can't. And it is it is pretty crazy, you know, when you consider that. I mean, they're both athletes. They're both, you know, student athletes at a university. One can make money off the fact that they have, let's say, 50,000 Instagram followers and one can't. So I think, yeah, I think that conversation is moving very rapidly. You know, before the pandemic, I would have said the uh, name, image and likeness debate was probably the biggest conversation in college sports. Right. And I think, you know, the pandemic kind of took uh, kind of move that to the to the backdrop to a certain extent but i think that's going to come it's going to continue to kind of move at a pretty fast pace there's obviously legislation being passed yeah i think within the next two years if i had to guess you'll see kind of universal whether it's uh the ncaa taking a lead on this or congress taking a lead on this you'll see kind of fairly universal rules across the board where yes college athletes will be able to make money off their name images like this they're not going to get salaries right they're not going to get paid for their services but they're going to be able to do what any college any college student who doesn't play a sport can do which is go out there and say hey i have an audience or i have uh, marketability and uh, i would like to cash in on that kendall i have to ask a very personal question uh you've written a fair amount about the strain uh that major league baseball in particular is under and i i am a i'm a baseball fan it's it's my favorite sport i'm an mlb tv subscriber and i'm not sure why because there's almost nowhere on the east coast i can watch the nats play because of the blackout restrictions it seems to me that no other sport needs to connect with the next generation like baseball and yet their mobile experience is terrible to non-existent why is that and is there anyone from the commissioner on down that's even aware of the problem i Completely agree with you. And it's funny. Um, I'm, I'm an Orioles fan. My dad grew up in Baltimore and I recently moved to DC. So this is, I'm now experiencing this. It's awful. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it seemed like somebody else's problem before. Now it's my personal problem. So I'm, I'm with you on it. You know, it, it is, it is pretty insane. I mean, you've seen uh, players call the commissioner out directly on this. Yeah. It, it, it is wild to me that you, that you wouldn't be able to work something out to ensure that, particularly, as you mentioned, uh, your, your youngest fans, your, your next generation of fans can watch their local team. I mean, it's it's a complicated issue. The, the whole kind of TV ecosystem, whether it's regional sports networks, like the, the whole TV ecosystem is so complex and there's so many different players and there's so many different uh, new services coming out and all this stuff that it is somewhat of a mess. But yeah, if you look at these other leagues, they've been able to figure it out. I and mean, you don't see this happening with, with other leagues the way that it happens with baseball. So hopefully they do um, have some solution. But it isn't, it isn't, I don't think, as simple as, you know, the commissioner is starting to care about this. I think, I think they, they, they care about it. I just think they're, they're locked into deals and they're involved in a kind of ecosystem that is very messy and they haven't been able to figure it out. But I, I, I don't think this will be a problem forever. I just 
think yeah. it's kind of where they're currently situated with contracts and with well know, peter angelos know. right uh, who owns the orioles i also you know his deal with masson our local uh, regional sports network here in dc will not you, you if you don't have cable and you and which i don't and and you yeah. and you don't have masson you don't have any way to watch yeah. Uh, Orioles or Nationals games. And, well, you know, it, the, and it, 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 it's like, as I was saying, it, it's such a complex issue because there's so many factors going on when it comes to the pay TV environment right now. You have you have an entire cable industry who is holding on to a substantial pie, but also right. but also has to realize and, and they would never admit this because then they would admit that their business model is failing but has to realize that the number of cable subscribers is going down dramatically every year and so at what it's basically like at what point do you give in to the reality of the situation which is that younger fans every year are cutting the cord or or, or never even had the cord to begin with right um and so it it really is this battle that you know we see in so many other industries disruption happens really quickly taxi cabs disrupted by uber in the span of a year two years cable is one of those things that i think there's enough people particularly older people who still have cable that it's going to be one of those situations where it should be disrupted in a year or two and it should be kind of flip of a switch and and, and all this stuff changes but i think it's going to take much longer and that's why it's frustrating it's frustrating that the reality of the situation is not in line with the model, with the ecosystem of TV. Well, I appreciate you saying that, giving some hope maybe in the next year or two, because uh, it is it is extraordinarily frustrating. And you just wonder sometimes if they're even aware of the problem. Because yeah. there's it, just it, no attempt to address I'm telling it. you. I, I'm telling you, like, I am so with you on that because, again, like, I've been living in California for the last five years, so New Jersey before that. It was a blessing uh, being an Orioles fan in New Jersey because I could yeah. watch all the games <laughs> on MLB TV and obviously California, too. And, yeah, this is my first time experiencing this. And I had always heard about it and I obviously knew, like, it was a thing, but I had never had that, like, happen. Like, I remember the first time I moved here, I was, I was excited. I was going to tune into the O's game. Can't watch it. <laughs> so I, I, I'm with you on that. Well, Kendall, uh, following it as closely as you do, I'm, I'm really curious in a larger sense how you see the future of American sports. Uh, our sporting life has endured depression, wars, and pandemics, and, and we're going to endure this. Uh, but sports and athletes themselves have become increasingly politicized. Uh, the larger social justice movement uh, is obviously part of our sporting life now. I just think of the difference between Michael Jordan, who studiously avoided anything that smacked right. of controversy, versus LeBron uh, and other athletes who are increasingly vocal on all manner of issues. And I, even like the NBA bumping up against Chinese censorship. It, is sports doomed to become another red versus blue uh, set of institutions in American life? Or do you think it'll remain a unifying force? You know, it's an interesting question, and I think it's one that we'll kind of see answered over a long period of time, just because there's so many forces that are driving this change. I mean, I think the great ex you, you bring up a great example, Michael Jordan and LeBron. So one difference there is obviously cultural. The things have just kind of changed since when Michael Jordan played um, and LeBron played. At the same time, not just culturally different, but uh, just the, the, the media ecosystem has changed. So Michael Jordan didn't have a direct line to fans where he could communicate with them. And also he was expected to communicate with them, right? Le LeBron James has more social media followers than the NBA. 
right? right. LeBron James <laughs> is a media company. And so he is almost, it's almost incumbent upon him. I mean, I guess there's, there's some cases of superstar athletes who really kind of avoid social media altogether, but th- very few. Um, and so I think it's, you know, the, these factors, cult- cultural factors, but also just like media, social media, these, these technological changes that have completely altered every fabric of the rest of society. Of course, they're going to transform how athletes communicate, um, how athletes involve themselves in conversations. If LeBron James can, can reach more people than the NBA and he has an opinion on something, we live in a world now where it's almost expected that he's going to have that opinion and he's going to make that opinion heard. And so it's, it's one of those things where I think we all recognize that uh, well, maybe not all, but many people do recognize and every survey ever uh, will confirm this, that people do kind of turn to sports for that escape. And that's still true. I think we're right now in this kind of middle ground between still wanting that escape, but it almost being impossible for it to be a complete escape where when those athletes, those teams are all involved in that in the conversations that we're all having at the dinner table now, you know, dec- decades ago. I'll use Michael Jordan as an example, like he, you know, every, everything you heard from Michael Jordan was either through a media publication or through PR. It was was all through some form of other media. And it was all kind of uh, more, I guess, it was kind of more part of the machine, if you will. And now every athlete's sounding off constantly sharing Instagram videos. Like there's, we're, we, as fans, you're so immersed in their lives that they're then also so immersed in your lives. And I think it's just sports has become part of the conversation as has everything else. And it's less of a kind of institution that is separate and over here and this place you go to escape. There's still that element to it, but it's also, you know, fully ingrained in everything else. It's, it's a great point. It's, it's actually analogous to, to politics because you yeah. see, because politicians, the democratization of communications you know, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez does not need the the, the DNC or, or or the speaker. She has her own line of communication and, and ability to raise funds, and it's just it's it's uh, it's it's more of a free for all than than certainly uh, it, it was in the past. Yeah, and that, and that's why you see so the, the impact of kind of uh, player empowerment is real because if you know the five biggest NBA players got together and they decided they they have a message that they want to share and they all share that message that message is getting so much more visibility than anything a league or a team could ever do. And so like it's the, the, the power that athletes have is like, it's tangible. It's real. They can, they have larger voices than the companies and the leagues that employ them like by a lot. <laughs> so it, the, the equation is almost completely flipped where the NBA used to, or any, any, any league could kind of, kind of stick on message and have their message and that be decided by the higher ups. And here's our message. You can't do that. Kendall Baker, so much to work out here in the new season. I am truly hopeful of being back in Nats Park very soon. I hope you'll come watch a game with me. I've got some great seats. Can't wait. I'll take you up on that for sure. Thanks for joining me on 14th and G. Thanks for having me.